Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, ninth, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the PrepWell podcast. Today's episode is a cautionary tale about what happens when phones begin to replace books in the hands of our children. And the bottom line, unsurprisingly, is that it's not a pretty picture. I've seen it building over time. I see it all around me. I see it with my own sons. And I see the damage it's doing. And I want to call it out and make a plea to every parent out there to do whatever it takes to address this issue. This is a classic frog in the boiling water scenario, where the temperature gets turned up just a little bit at a time, where it's seemingly unnoticeable until sometime later, the water is boiling and the frog is dead. Well, the water is about to boil if we don't do something about the replacement of books and reading with phones. The act of reading will become such a bore and such a chore and so far down on the list of priorities for a teenager that it will eventually, I fear, become effectively obsolete. As we all know, phones have become extensions of our lives. We almost literally can't live without them. Try getting to that soccer field you've been to twice without using your GPS. Many of us would be dead in the water, myself included. When devices like this take such a prominent role in our lives, I fear for how this will impact not just our children's interest in reading, but our children's ability to read, the ability to hold a book in their hand and allow their eyes to move across the page and detect words and make sense of those words without feeling like they need to check their phone, without wondering what somebody might be posting or texting or responding to, just sitting and reading. Now, that may sound overly dramatic, and maybe someday reading will become anachronistic and something that people laugh at. Why did they do that back then? But right now, and for the next few years, our kids still need to know how to read. And the passages on the SAT and ACT won't read themselves. This rate of growth is happening so quickly that it's outpacing our ability to process and digest what's happening around us. And that makes me nervous. The phones are so addicting and provide such customized content and guide our kids down rabbit holes so deep that they're hard to compete with. And by the way, that's assuming that what they're seeing and hearing is wholesome and appropriate, which is a big assumption. I'm not even going to go there in this episode. And once kids are in their trance, on their beds, swiping their lives away, it's very difficult to persuade them to do anything else, let alone read a pleasure book or even a required book. After all, they've got all the pleasure they need right in their hand. The phone 
provides literally endless, exciting, titillating, shocking, culturally relevant, and highly addicting content that will keep them mesmerized for hours and hours at a time. There are tens of thousands, armies of engineers working 24-7 to make sure that this cycle continues and gets worse. Other than the obvious challenges of phone use, crowding out the ability, the motivation, or the interest in anything else, it's also very consumption-based as opposed to creative-based. And yes, I know some kids do create videos and edits on their phones, but the large majority of kids are simply sitting around consuming content that other people have made for them. And with artificial intelligence and algorithms quickly deciding the winners and losers, our kids are getting force-fed content that interests them. They're not thinking critically. They're not building or creating or debating issues. They're often just consuming the creations of others. This just can't be a smart or sustainable long-term plan. I've seen in real time this phone issue completely taking students out of the running for getting into some of the more competitive colleges in a matter of 18 months. They become uncompetitive overnight, seemingly, because they just never get into the habit of picking up a book and reading, as simple as that sounds. The phone will literally replace what once may have been a book. Holding a book becomes the furthest thing from a teenager's mind. Think about it. If you're a kid and you have a window of opportunity to either one, become an avid reader of books, or two, become an avid consumer of TikTok and Instagram videos, and you're left to your own devices with a phone and no one there checking in on you and bringing you back from the brink, what do you think is going to happen? It's a no-brainer. They will never pick up the book. I have four sons. And they've each had different experiences with phones and books. And their paths demonstrate what I think may be happening right before my very eyes. Obviously, this is a comically small sample size and in no way scientific, but it may be telling. I have two 19-year-old sons. They're twins. Thankfully, they did not get sucked into a phone addiction, in part because phones weren't quite as available back then. And because my wife and I were, frankly, more diligent about exposing them to books and nightly reading and modeling. Phones were not as all-consuming as they are today. They were our first children, and we were pretty disciplined about doing whatever we could to help them become avid readers. And it seems to have worked. They're both voracious readers today who rip through three, four-inch novels effortlessly. And it has paid off for them, at least as it relates to SAT scores and verbal and writing ability and helping them get into their top choice colleges. Given the choice, they would probably pick a book over a phone eight out of 10 times. So let's think of them as exhibit A. Now, my 17-year-old is a different story. Let's call this exhibit B. He grew up when phones started to become more ubiquitous for the younger set. And we, as parents, admittedly, weren't quite as disciplined with the nightly reading and the exposure and the modeling. We had more on our plate by then. 
And so we let a lot more slide, so to speak. And lo and behold, our 17-year-old became less interested in reading, a less avid reader. Now, I wouldn't say he's unusually addicted to his phone compared to his peers, but again, left to his own devices, no pun intended, his phone habits could turn into an addiction quickly. And mind you, I'm just talking about phones. I'm not even talking about video games. None of my sons play video games, thankfully. But I do know that video game addiction makes phone usage look like child's play. There's no comparison. And I don't have time to address that nightmare today, but I think we all know of those pitfalls. With our 17-year-old, unlike our 19-year-olds, we had to set boundaries for phone use and make a much more deliberate effort to get him off the phone and into a book. And we tried a lot of different strategies over the years. And he never quite got there. And by there, I mean to a place where he really enjoyed reading. He has yet to become an avid reader, which in my view is the gold standard. He still reads, obviously, and he's not necessarily against reading, per se, and his phone use is still about the same, I would say about average, but we were never able to deliver him the gift of actually taking pleasure in reading. And that's not to say that he won't become an avid reader someday. I hope he does, sooner rather than later. It just means that we failed to get him there early in his life. And when it comes to high academic performance in school and on standardized tests, earlier is obviously better. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is all nurture and no nature, and that his inclination to become a non-reader versus a reader is 100% on us as parents and how we raised him, but there's a clear contrast. Maybe our twins were born readers. I don't know. What I do know is that we moved away from our best practices, and it had consequences. Our 17-year-old is not yet a regular reader and doesn't read for fun. And time is ticking. Now, with our fourth son, who is in seventh grade, we're trying to swing the pendulum back the other way. We've seen what happens with our own kids academically to non-readers, and we didn't really like what we saw. And by the way, I'm not trying to throw my 17-year-old under the bus. He's bright. He's done very well in school. But when it comes to raw verbal and reading ability, the kind that most selective colleges look for, the contrast with his older brothers is significant. But remember, high verbal ability is not the only path to selective colleges. My 17-year-old is in the midst of deciding where to go to college next year, and his choices are Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, and the Naval Academy. Not exactly chop liver schools. And he's being offered a spot at those schools, not because he's an avid reader with an 800 on the SAT verbal, but because he's a recruited athlete. And despite not being an avid reader, he'll do just fine at those schools. So I'm not trying to suggest that if your child doesn't become an avid reader, that they have no chance at getting into some of the more selective schools, but it does mean that they better bring something else pretty significant to the table. So back to my seventh grader. Given our experience with our first three sons, we knew we had to take control again, lest we find ourselves with another non-reader. 
and we are deliberately taking steps to bring him back from the brink because he does have a phone now and it's slowly becoming the thing that's constantly attached to his hand. And as I mentioned earlier, the algorithms are getting better and better and better and more and more addicting. So we're forced to bring out the big guns now because if we let this go even for a few months, he could be lost forever. So what can we do to break, to delay, to slow down the cycle of phone addiction that is constantly on the attack? Well, here are a few thoughts. Number one, no phone on their person after 8 p.m. This is pretty straightforward and pretty easy. Have the phone plugged into a charger in the kitchen starting at 8 p.m. If they must check it because of a joint homework project or some other BS excuse, then let them check the phone while they're standing in the kitchen with the phone plugged in. The key here is not to let them take the phone to bed or into their bedroom. Taking the phone to bed is a recipe for disaster. And please, don't let them convince you that they need it because it's the alarm that they use to wake them up in the morning. That's, that's a JV ploy. And if you want to ease them into it and not seem too draconian too early, make this a rule from Sunday night to Thursday night when they have school the next day and maybe give them a little bit more time on the weekends and then eventually move to every day of the week. That'll be up to you. Number two, find books that they enjoy reading. I don't care what kind of book. Well, maybe I care a little bit, but what I mean is don't force or expect them to read Macbeth as a pleasure book. That's a recipe for driving teenagers away from reading, yelling and screaming. You want to drive them toward reading. Encourage them to find books that they're interested in, almost no matter the topic. If they want to read books below their reading level, great, go for it. Who cares? Don't force them to read at a certain level. That will all come in time. The ultimate goal is that they have a positive predisposition to books and reading, not an aversion to them. Number three, an unlimited book budget. I instituted an unlimited book budget policy for our family in middle and high school. Policy is pretty simple. If they show me a book that they want on Amazon, I order it within three minutes, period. Now, there are some caveats, as I've talked about in other podcasts. It has to be an appropriate book. They actually have to read it, and there's ways to figure that out. But other than that, it's unlimited. The absolute worst case is that I'm spending inordinate amounts of money on books that my kids are reading. And that is a problem that I will take all day long. And if you're nervous that this type of policy might hit you pretty hard in the pocketbook, Think about how much money you're spending on youth sports, dues, travel, uniforms, equipment, bags, and the like. I'm quite sure your book budget will never be more than a rounding error compared to the money you're now spending on other activities. Number four, modeling. Read books yourself. Surround yourself with books. Show excitement and curiosity about what you're reading. Demonstrate your love of reading by discussing the books that you're into. Turn off the TV and grab a book. Put the phone in the kitchen and read in the living room. Show your kids that you're eating your own dog food. You're taking your own advice. This is a tough one, especially for me, because I'm not particularly an avid reader myself, honestly. So if I'm not careful, 
I fall into the trap of do as I say, not as I do. As we all know, our kids are eyeballing us all day long. They are smarter than we think. They are very observant. If you're constantly harping on them to read because it's so good for them, and they never see you pick up a book, and you spend most of your time on your phone swiping and scrolling, or in front of your laptop with the Netflix menu queued up, then you'll be losing credibility. Number five, exposure. If possible, flood your house with books, all kinds of books, big, small, simple, sophisticated, pictures, no pictures, whatever it may be. Start filling bookshelves in your house with books. Sometimes kids just pick up books out of boredom. Give them those opportunities to pick up a book just to see what it's all about. The more they're surrounded by books, the more normal they will feel around books. And that's what we're looking for. We want books to be an everyday thing in their lives, not something reserved for school and not something reserved for required reading that they hate doing. Number six, book clubs. My seventh grader and I started our own private book club. We pick a book, we set a date to have it finished, and we read it and discuss it. This provides some structure, provides some accountability, and it shows your child that you're putting your money where your mouth is. Plus, you get to see how much of the content they're actually understanding and can communicate. It's a great opportunity to talk about vocabulary words, grammar, sentence structure. But again, the most important element here is that it's fun. This month, my seventh grader and I are reading the book Shane. It's an old Western book, and it's great for 12, 13, and 14-year-old boys. So we'll see how that turns out. There are dozens of other ideas and strategies that you can deploy to help bring books and reading back into your child's life. I covered a few of them here that I've personally used, but there are certainly others that might work even better in your family environment. The takeaway is this. Reading is extremely important. Phones are extremely addicting. If we fall asleep at the wheel and let the latter, the phones, displace the former, the books, our children will suffer the consequences. So please, take a moment. Think about your child's relationship to books, to reading, to phones, to video games. And if the relationship among these items is out of whack, meaning 0% of time devoted to non-required reading, and 100% of the time devoted to swiping in video games, then it's time for an intervention. And there's no time to waste. In this day and age, these habits can become addictions within weeks. Just like everything else we promote here at Preppel Academy, the sooner you can address this issue, the better. If you'd like to discuss strategies such as these in more detail, or you have a particularly acute problem that you're trying to fix, feel free to reach out to me, set up a private consultation. We can dig into those details and try to resolve any issues that you may have then. That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the continued support. If you know a parent with a fourth grader, fifth grader, sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh grader that might find this helpful, please share the episode with them. You can do that by finding that small box with a tiny arrow pointing up. That's the share button. Click that button. Text your friends the link to this episode. Put a little note in there from you, recommending that they give it a listen. Of course, if you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me by email, DM me on Instagram, check out our blog, Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, 
and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. PrepWell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to PrepWellAcademy.com and enroll your child today.